Good morning, family. How are you today? It's good to see you as we gather together to celebrate Jesus Christ. Well, quick question as we dive into today's teaching. Here's the question. Are you ready? Have you ever heard the term overnight success? Anyone in here ever heard the term? Just show of hands. A couple of you. Okay, yeah, overnight success. Now, this is a weird phrase, but here's the idea. She's an overnight success. This company is an overnight success. That person or or that group. And here's the idea. An overnight success is someone who explodes on the scenes, is notorious for something they've done, or or, or becomes, uh, people admire them for how quickly they seem to be able to accomplish whatever it is that they are attempting to accomplish. But if you dig a little deeper, you'll find that what seemed like an overnight success actually has weeks, months, years, or decades of trial and error Attempts and failures that led to this moment. Uh, For instance, if you want to think about some overnight successes, what about Theodore Geisel, better known as Dr. Seuss? By the way, any of you you Dr. Seuss fans? I loved green eggs and ham, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, right? Oh, the place you'll go. His different books have sold over 600 million copies. But did you know that before his seemingly overnight success, his first manuscript was rejected by 28 different publishing houses? Or what about this movie legend, Sylvester Stallone, the Italian stallion, yes, Rocky, Rambo, anything that creates blood and a slurred speech, this is your man. Now, before he became well-known... Although it seemed to come overnight, one of the things you may not know is he was so poor at one time that he had to sell his dog for $40 just to get some food. Now, good news. After he shot Rocky, things turned around. So he went back and he rebought that dog for $15,000. Or what about this? You think about Henry Ford, the king of automotive. He's the guy who brought transportation to the masses. He, he was the one who figured out how to do the assembly line and really got it down to a science. But before he became the king of automotive, did you know that his first business went bankrupt? His second business went bankrupt. What am I trying to tell you? Whenever you see someone who is very successful, whenever you see a successful person, what you are actually seeing is someone who has failed a lot. And whenever you look around next to you at those who follow Jesus, whenever you see a successful saint, someone who really looks like Jesus, loves like Jesus, acts like Jesus, and you go, wow, I I don't think they've ever sinned. I, I don't think they've ever been tempted. It is easy in a church because we see the highlight reel of one another's lives to look at others. And whenever you see a successful Christian or a successful saint, what you're looking at is the result of a lot of failure. This should be good news to anyone here who wishes they were different than they are on some days. And the good news, John wants us to hear this loud and clear when he writes to us in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of his letter, 1 John. If you will, let's stand together in honor of God's word this morning. John the Apostle writes these words, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I write this to you so that you will not sin. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we have hope beyond our own ability, and his name is Jesus Christ. And in these few moments, as we look at this beautiful promise, remind us that although failure is a part of the human condition and even part of what it means to follow Jesus, we have one who has made a way. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, let's remember where we've come from. At this point, John the Apostle has already written his gospel. Now, we always call it the gospel of John, but it's not John's good news. Rather, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ as recorded and shared with us by John. He has told us the story of who Jesus was, what Jesus did, how Jesus lived, how Jesus died, how he was raised from the grave, and now how he sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us. And he is writing to a group of believers in the city of Ephesus. At this point, John was called and considered the bishop of Ephesus. What that means is he was simply responsible for many different groups of elders or pastors and many different churches. He wrote this sometime between 85 and 95 A.D., we think, which means although the church is not old at this point, we now have second and third-generation Christians, people who did not hear directly from the apostles, but heard from those who heard from the apostles, or heard from those who heard from the apostles, and are now coming to faith. And so John, the only remaining of the twelve apostles, writes to the members of his churches there in Ephesus to encourage them and to remind them that just because you fail or sin, if you are in Christ, that is not the end of your story. And that's where he begins here. Now, he uses this idea. He begins to talk about uh, what happens. In fact, he says, if you sin. In fact, he says, I write this so that you may not sin or will not sin or won't sin. Now, if you're like me, you hear this and you think, too late. If I'd only had this letter a little earlier, maybe I would not have sinned. Perhaps I could have avoided some of the things, but now I am where I am. What does it matter? Now, I just want to ask you to hang on. If that's where you are, let's not go there yet. Let's talk a little bit more. And we need to first talk about what this little word sin means. Now, I know if you grew up in a southern church of Christ like many of us, then you went to church and every Sunday you were dangled over hell like a marshmallow, weren't you? They'd say, this is what sin is. That's what sin is. Don't go here. Don't do this. Don't go there. Don't do that. We knew what sin was because the church would often hand out sins to us like Oprah hands out cars. You get a sin, and you get a sin, and you get a sin, and you're all a bunch of sinners. And the value of that Sunday's gathering was how bad you felt when you left. 
I want you to understand what this word means and what good news lies beyond it. Now, the biblical understanding of this word sin is an archery term. It literally means to miss the bullseye. That's all it means, to miss the bullseye. And what we need to understand is there is a bullseye, and there's this standard that God gives. Now, I don't know if you've ever uh, maybe shot a bow and arrow or had a bow and arrow, not like one of these little chintzy things, and I'm not talking about something you get, like that your parents bring back to you from the Smoky Mountains, okay? I'm not talking about one of those. I'm talking about a real one. Now, first thing you'll know when you have a bow and arrow is, uh, first time you try to pull back that string, load the arrow, it's hard. It takes a lot of strength. And when you try to hit the bullseye, you don't hit the bullseye. You don't even hit the target. In fact, first time you try, you don't hit the hay bale. You're just thankful to God that someone did not just get killed behind you the first time you shot it. Right? And so you practice. And you get a little bit better. You practice. You get a little bit better. And finally, finally, you hit the hay bale and everyone goes crazy. And then you finally, finally get better and you hit the target. And then that one day comes, you don't know what happened. Maybe the wind was just right, but the arrow flies straight and true. You hit your first bullseye. Never mind that it was only five feet away. You hit the bullseye. Now, that is the biblical understanding of following Jesus, that Jesus is the standard. Friends, the standard for a Christian is not church expectations. The standard for a Christian is not family expectations. The standard for a Christian is not cultural expectations. The standard for a Christian is Jesus Christ. He is the mark that we are aiming for. And all the times that we miss the mark, the scriptures call that sin. But the first thing I need you to understand is following Jesus, hitting the mark, is the result of a whole lot of failure. You are forgiven and saved at the moment you confess Christ and are buried with him in baptism. You are raised to new life, but now begins the process of lining up the bow of your life and everything you do. Do not be surprised if you miss the mark, if you sin. Now, let's be clear what sin is and isn't. I need to be very clear. Mistakes are not the same thing as sin. You understand that, right? We all are going to make mistakes. So you go to the grocery store. You're supposed to turn right. You take left instead. That's not sin. Jesus is not going to take a note. And when you see him face to face, he's not going to want to say, hey, we need to talk about that moment when you went to the grocery. You went right. You're supposed to go left. No, that's not what sin is. Sin is the moment where we are simply saying, "Uh uh-uh. And we're missing the mark. It's that moment where you know what you should do, but you do not do it. Or perhaps for some of us, you're new to this, and you do something, and then you learn later, oh, that's not what I ought to do. It was an intentional misfire, but you did not know that it was a misfire. Are you tracking with me? What John is going to say is that you and I are sinners. We have been saved by grace, but we have been and we are being saved, but we are still those who are making mistakes. We are missing. In fact, He says, if we say we have not sinned, we are liars and we also make God a liar. Now, I want to give you some good news. Here's the first good news. Do you notice the verbiage he uses to describe who is a sinner? He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Or if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. In other words, John 
says we are all in the same boat. The only difference between you and someone else who seems to be hitting the bullseye more often is often how long you have been following Jesus or the intention with which you are living your life. But we are all sinners. I don't know if that gives you any peace or encouragement, but it certainly does me because there are so many of you that I admire and I see you and I go, well, if they're still on the process, maybe I have some hope as well. The first thing you need to know is we are all in this together. The second thing you need to know, though, is that while following Jesus is a process, it is one that we are to live out intentionally. Now, John makes a very interesting point here. He says, we are to focus on Jesus. And the key thing here is many of us will have those moments where we make mistakes, where we, or we are off a little bit and we learn, don't go here, don't go there, do this. But then there are some of us in here, we have those secret sins, those personal sins that we are holding on to, those things that we have treasured in our hearts. Here's what you need to understand. To treasure in your heart any sin is to intentionally fire away from the mark. It's to intentionally fire away from what God has called you to do. Now, if you own a gun or if you carry one of these around, after all, we're in the South, maybe you do. We know some rules for gun safety. One of the very first ones is this. You always aim your weapon downrange towards the target. You never aim it elsewhere. Why? Because if you do, someone is liable to get hurt. Here's the point. Sin always hurts someone. When you aim away from what Christ has called you to, it will hurt someone else, it will hurt you, it will hurt relationships, it does something to damage you. Sin is serious, so much so that God sent his son to die for our sins. It's a big deal. In fact, Paul the Apostle will say that some, because they have misfired in their lives, they have actually pierced themselves with many pain. So sin is a big deal, but God does not leave us to it. Now, some of us confuse an apology with with repentance. Have you ever noticed this? There's a difference. Some of us will say, oops, I'm sorry. Oops, I'm sorry. Oops, sorry. Do you understand there's a difference between an apology and repentance? An apology saying I'm sorry does not necessarily mean that I plan to do anything different. Jesus never calls you to simply say you're sorry. He calls you and me to repent, to turn around and aim where God has called us to aim. Simply saying we are sorry is not what he has called us to. But the good news is this. When you have turned, when you continue to go back, when you fire again towards the bullseye of Jesus Christ, there's this good news that God has not left you alone to figure it out for yourself. Now, I want to talk to two people in this room. And I don't mean I'm going to call one person out, but two groups of people. Here's the first one. I need to talk to those of you in here who are perfectionists. You know what a perfectionist is, right? A perfectionist is someone who says my self-worth and relationship with God depend on me being perfect. It's the person in here, you wake up and you know what the standard is. And because you know what it is, you feel this weight and this worry of trying to do it all on your own. So you come to church on Sundays, you hear the gospel that God loves you, that God forgives, that God enables us to live a new life. But you forget that on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, trying to do it all on your own. 
And so you make yourself miserable and you make everyone else miserable in the process. Because you know what the standard is. But friends, don't you know that the good news of Jesus Christ begins at the point of our failure? The reason the gospel is good news is because we can't do it, but God does it for us through Jesus Christ. And so to all the perfectionists, yes, pursue Christ But you will never be perfect apart from the power of God in you. You don't look at God and say, I've got this. I'll do it myself. You say, I can't. He says, great. Together we can. Now, there's another group I need to talk to here. It's not the perfectionists. It's just those of you who've never tried. You heard what the expectation was. You know how hard it will be. And you simply just say, I can't. And you tell God before you even get an opportunity, you tell him, I'm not going to try. Before the conversation begins, before he begins to work on you, you have already bailed out. And his call to you would be, child, do not give up yet. You were never meant to do it on your own, and of course you can't. But that's why I came. Because you can't, but through me you can. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And he gives us this moment for anyone in here who looks at themselves and says, my life is marked by failure, who says, I can't do this, I don't know what to do. He says, I have good news for you. He says, I write this so that you will not sin. But, put this up, if you do sin, we have an, what's that word, church? Advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, this word advocate is the Greek word paraclete. Everyone say paraclete. Does this word sound familiar? We talked about it about a year ago because Jesus himself uses this word in the Gospel of John. He tells his followers, I will send to you an advocate. I will send to you the Holy Spirit. And a paraclete literally means someone who walks alongside. Para, meaning parallel, like alongside. And clete is to walk, so walk alongside. He will send one who will help us. But notice what John tells us. It's not simply that Jesus says, I will send the paraclete. John says Jesus himself comes alongside of us, enabling us and teaching us to live as we ought, to aim where we ought. Now, here's the best illustration I know to give you for what a paraclete is, someone who walks alongside you. Here it is. You ready? A workout buddy. Yeah, that's right. A workout buddy. It's that person who agrees to make your life miserable enough for you to get in shape. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And the starting point of any good workout buddy relationship is you both have to agree you're fat and out of shape. My first workout buddy, he wholeheartedly agreed with me on those two points. Hey, I need help. Yes, you do. Would you be my help? Yes, I will. A workout buddy says, I will be there for you. I will walk alongside you and be there when you need help. One of the things a good workout buddy does is give accountability, right? So at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning, you're supposed to be at the gym. If you're not there, what is your workout buddy going to do? Where are you? And if you don't show up or if you don't answer your call, what's he going to do? Well, next time he sees you, never mind if you're around your buddies, he's going to humiliate you around your buddies. Because you have said, I need help. I can't do it on my own. And the workout buddy says, I am here to walk with you. I am not going to leave you where you are, but we will get through this together. Now, one of the things that happens when you work out is this thing called working to failure. Working to failure. 
It's this idea that says to get better than what you are, to get healthier than what you are, to be able to grow stronger, you're going to have to put a load on you that you eventually cannot carry on your own. And so maybe it's 5 pounds or 20 pounds or 200 pounds, but you lift and you lift until you... Ah! You've worked out to failure. And no one looks at the person who has worked out to failure, smack them across the head and say, why couldn't you do it? Rather, the workout buddy celebrates the little victories, the moments it says you went further than you did yesterday. You pushed farther than you did yesterday. Today, you ran to the telephone pole. Good job. Yesterday, you didn't even get out of your driveway before falling over. Good job. They celebrate the small victories because those victories, those little moments, you are aligning your sight closer and closer to the ultimate target, the ultimate goal. I heard a guy recently talk about a workout buddy. He overheard a trainer talking to her client. And the client was brand new. It was obvious she, that she had just started this. And the woman looked tired. She looked sore. This was day two or three, by the way. If you have started an exercise routine, days two and three are horrible. You feel terrible. Everything aches. You have stretched things that you know the good Lord doesn't mean for you to stretch. But she shows up, and the trainer says, I want you to hear from me. I am proud of you. 95% of people know they need to work out, and yet they roll over, go back to sleep, or stay on the couch. But you showed up. I'm so proud of you. The first habit we're trying to instill in you is the habit that you'll simply just show up. That you'll leave your house and get to the gym. That you won't give up before you even give it a shot, and I'm so proud of you. If nothing else happens today, you're here. It's a win. But now that you are here, might as well take a lap. Friends, do you know that Jesus Christ is delighted that you're his follower? Have you ever considered that Jesus is so thankful and happy that you have chosen to follow him? He's already paid for your sins, and for you to say, I want relationship with you, is a thrilling thing to him. So he comes alongside you and says, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And I know you're going to miss the mark today. There are going to be things that, yeah, they'll hurt me. They'll make me sad for you and mad at the situation, but I'm so proud of you because you showed up. If nothing else happens, you showed up. But since you're here, why don't we take a lap? Have you ever had someone pay for your meal and you didn't know it? This happened one time that I can recall. For my wife and I, we had been married only a few years. We were celebrating an anniversary. We'd saved our pennies, you know, newlywed money issues. And we have saved up, and we're going to go to a hibachi grill dinner. Anyone in here know what that is? It's eggs flying. It's great. We get there. We sit down next to this couple. They were in their 60s, 70s, somewhere in there. And strike up a conversation. They said, what are you doing? We said, oh, we're celebrating our anniversary. He said, congratulations. We're so proud of you. How many years? We told them, they said, that is an accomplishment. We're so thankful for you. Meal finishes. They get up. They leave. Lindsay and I sit there for a few more moments, sharing loving glances at each other over fried rice. It was a magical moment. <laughs> and when we leave, go up to the counter with a credit card in hand in the hostess says, oh, your bill's been paid for. And we said, what do you mean? We just, we just got the, the ticket. She goes, no, no, it's been paid for. Well, how? 
the couple that just left, they paid for it. They just wanted you to know how proud of you they were and so thankful for this celebration of marriage. Do you know that in the moment when you begin to tell Jesus all the ways you've missed the mark, he leans forward and he'll whisper in your ear, child of mine, I've already paid the bill. Stop trying to pay for something that I've already covered. You have an advocate, the righteous one of God, Jesus Christ. And although you miss, you need to know he has not given up on you. So don't you give up either. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, once you talk to the Father, how have you missed the mark? Go ahead and tell him that. Maybe you were someplace you shouldn't have been with someone you shouldn't have been with or said something. I don't know. He knows. We do not confess to tell God something he doesn't know. It's simply to agree with him on what he does. And now? Tell God, thank you for paying the bill. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are forgiven. Even the sins you have yet to commit have been forgiven and paid for on the cross by Jesus. Holy God, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for who you are. We ask you in Jesus' name, yes, forgive us, but Lord, let us walk as the forgiven. And let us receive that each day as we aim and miss the mark. May we retrain our sight on you, the one who is perfect, receiving the help that you and only you can give so that we may follow you better in this life and into the next. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.